Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Menzel, and I'm a very happy co-host tonight because I've got a, a full panel. So joining us from Channel 9 is Jaleesa Apps. Welcome back. You feeling better? I'm feeling much better, yeah. I had a uh, very solid stint of coronavirus. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was fine, but I, I'm back in full health. Great. I know you're getting sad because the cricket season I'm is coming so to an end, sad. but don't worry, the podcast is going to keep going. Good. And uh, as always, Paul Dennett's come back. Hey guys, how are you going? Good. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Paul's the only one I can text at 3am about cricket and he replies. <laughs> yeah, please don't text me then. Now, <laughs> um, listeners, lots to come in this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. We are going to wrap up Australia's victory in the T20 World Cup final by the women on the weekend. We're going to delve into Australia getting smashed 3-0 in South Africa. We've got some other cricket news and then we've got some listener questions and then we're going to bring it on home with Can't Let It Go. But let's start with, you know, one of the greatest parts of uh, cricketing history in this country, Australia winning a home World Cup. The women did it on Sunday night. Jaleesa, how did it it make you feel watching that special occasion? I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm getting more emotional in my old age. I watched it and I was just so... we're actually in our old age. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In my mid-twenties. Fucking bitch. (laughs) God, I hope you leave that in there. There you go. So so now you're getting emotional in your mid-twenties. Yeah, no, I just watched it and first of all, it was a really good party atmosphere, which I thought was really cool um but just the first bit I I just was really emotional especially when they cut to crowd shots of young girls and their moms watching and I just thought oh this is so great what a great sporting event yeah what about you Paul how yeah. did you enjoy fantastic it? I thought it was a superb event uh, I got really uh excited in the lead up I thought that the the, the few songs from Katy Perry were great. And then I thought the Billie Jean King thing was excellent as well. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was all really well done. And 
I felt delighted and relieved for Cricket Australia because they must have had some pretty bad moments during the tournament, especially when the rain came back for the, the second time during the Australia-South Africa semi-final and it just looked like it was all over and mm. Australia weren't going to make the final. So good on them. I think it was a, a, a landmark occasion. They didn't quite get the record, but 86,000 people, uh, I, I think it was a, 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 one of the great occasions in Australian sport. You could say it's a failure, though, the 86,000, because their, their stated aim was to beat the world record. No, it the wasn't... marketing team was a failure. That was a failure from the start. The numbers are not a failure. No, the, the numbers are fantastic, but they, they fell short of they their main short. ambition and they were of the tournament. Do that. Yeah. But 86,174 compared to the record of 90,185. So they're 4,011 shirts. I reckon the coronavirus actually did make an impact that there are enough. On Twitter, about one in every 15 responses to all of the tweets about the, the World Cup were, why are we having these people gathering in this large space? This is, really? this is ridiculous. And I just think that it's enough that maybe a small percentage of people just thought, oh, I won't bother going. Mm. Um, and I think that that sort of thing, when, when you're trying to get a crowd of that magnitude, you only need a little bit of thing, a little bit here and there. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And also apparently there was a number of train lines that were closed that day in Melbourne. Some of the major train lines were shut down. So, so some people couldn't get there. Yeah, cr- the crowd that really impressed me was actually the next uh, day when um, the crowd that turned up to actually celebrate... Uh, Fed Square. In Fed mm. Square, uh, because that wasn't, you know, marketed or anything like that. People were just turning up to see them. So I I was really impressed with that crowd. Yeah, it's f- so fantastic <clears throat> for the women's game that they're getting all this attention. Kind of feel like, where has everyone been? I mean, it's always sort of been there, the, mm. the women's game, but it's just been ignored. So it's great that sort of everyone's getting behind it. And then for the final to be such a good spectacle and for the Australians to play such a great game full of attacking cricket, sixes and wickets. It was just uh, just a great ad for the game. This investment in women's uh, cricket is going to pay dividends for cricket in about 10, 15 years. When crowd numbers are struggling, you've just tapped into this whole new demographic that are, you know, three, four, five-year-old girls that are going to be really into it when they get older. It's funny, every time they have that those ads with all the the, the girls playing cricket, my five-year-old daughter, uh, who's in there but not watching the cricket, every time those ads come on, she's captivated. She watches the whole ad <gasps> and then stops and goes and does other things. She doesn't even, I don't think she's aware that she's doing, that's the only thing she watches. Really? But when, when those young girls are on, um, she's absolutely captivated for the whole thing. So it's, yeah, I, I can see it in action. It's a great ad. It is a good ad, yeah. Mm. I felt that once these trains made the final, that they were liberated and were able to free up their games. And yeah. we saw in the final, Australia play a phenomenal game. They made four for 184. Healy with 75 off 39 deliveries with five sixes. Beth Mooney, 78 not out off 54 deliveries. Those two put on 115 for the opening partnership. And Australia played well early, but India choked early. They dropped two catches pretty early on that could have made a big difference. That was pressure. They got they got completely overruled by the occasion. And the only one disappointing thing for me about that game was that it wasn't closer because a lot of people who were just on the fringes of this World Cup, it perhaps was the only game they sat down and watched. And I thought it was not a great game to show the standard. A few people actually said to me, God, aren't aren't Australia just light years ahead of the rest of the world? And they really aren't anymore, but the but India just crumbled. I think sometimes the, the extra professionalism that Australia has, that often shows itself most in fielding. Mm. That, you know, if you 
can only practice a little bit of fielding, you are going to make those mistakes. When you practice endlessly, as the Australians do, you can kind of overcome pressure. Uh, but I agree uh, that the second innings, it did drag on a bit. But the first innings was fantastic. I thought Healy's was, I think, um, the, one of the most entertaining innings I've seen in international cricket in some time. Just the way that she mm. uh, she could have milked it for singles and gone on and got 100, but she just kept attacking. And, you know, those consecutive sixes were, were superb. And even when she got out, she got a, that a centimetre closer to the middle of the bat, it would have gone for six as well. As the game went on, it kind of felt like it became more of a party because you just knew what was going to happen. Yeah, which was fantastic. And I like the way Healy took it up to the Indians straight away. Mm. There's this sort of tendency in a World Cup final, you sort of start slowly and you, the nerves get the better of you. Healy just went out there and was like, you know, just went for it from the first ball, which I think really put the Indians off. Yeah. What did you think of Katy Perry? <laughs> I, I didn't listen to any of her. Okay. I thought she was good. I mean, I'm not a music aficionado at all, in the words of David Mitchell, the English comedian. I don't approve of music, but, you know, it's there. So um, it... <laughs> I feel sorry for Rachel Haynes, who missed out on uh, being one of the, with the rest of the team, dancing on stage after the um, match because she was taken away by Sada to do a drug test. So yeah, that's annoying. The whole team was up there celebrating and dancing with Katy Perry. And um, what was it? Uh, Sophie Molyneux was... Um, Busting some moves. Yeah, on she stage. did the worm. Yeah, so that was pretty fun. Uh, back to the cricket, though. No, just um, back on Perry. Oh, I think that um, that it was good that they got her there, and that mm. you know she's sung it. Uh, she has performed at Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, at uh, at the Super Bowl. Mm. You know, I remember 10 years ago when the AFL grand final was a draw and they had one week to get entertained. They got Lionel Richie in and he sang his songs and afterwards was partying with them all. And, and no one was sort Do of you know saying... who that is, Jaleesa, Lionel Richie? I know Nicole Richie. Okay. <laughs> no, well. I know Lionel Richie because <laughs> of Nicole Richie. And no one was saying, oh, you know, it's, people are only turning up to see Lionel Richie. I realised that Perry was doing a concert afterwards, but a friend of the show, Patrick Avenel, who's an absolute music aficionado, said this should actually be something that more sporting events consider doing, having a bit of the prelim entertainment and then afterwards making a it a full-on concert. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was great. And um, Perry, to my untutored ear, sang very well. I was surprised. I thought a lot of people, I was a little bit on that side of being perhaps a little cynical in the lead-up, thinking that people were going to go to see Katy Perry. The crowd shots proved that completely wrong. So the most of the crowd, a lot of the, half of the crowd turned up after Perry had actually sung. And if when they And cut, apparently most left after the game. There was only 30 or 40,000 yeah, yeah. Perry. So. Mm. And, and when they cut to the crowd shots of people, people were kind of looking at Katy Perry, but no one was there for Katy Perry. But They were there for the other Perry very, who was injured. This is a very niche point. But Katy Perry <laughs> announced her pregnancy a few days before she performed. In America, this World Cup has now been mentioned where it would have never mm. been mentioned before. So thanks, Katy Perry's fetus. It's true. I, I saw um, <laughs> I saw a lot of twish, Twitter mentions of it uh, from Americans who clearly had no idea about it. So, yeah, getting getting Perry along gave the sport a little bit of extra publicity. So good. Yep. Shika Pandey has the distinction of, unfortunately, having the most expensive figures in a T20 World Cup. <clears throat> she was smashed for none for 52 off her four overs. India were all out for 99 in reply to... Australia's 184. Megan Shute took four for 18. Jess Jonathan three for 20. Player of the match was Elisa Healy. Player of the series, Beth Mooney. But I have to say, great to see Megan Shute destroy India. They've been her bogey side in the past. She's had a pretty bad record against them, but she absolutely destroyed them. 
one of the first interviews we ever did as well. Um, you did your first yeah. ever player interview. Yeah. It's just a pleasure to see India crumble in anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I felt kind of bad, but come on. I, I did think going into the game that cricket can't lose here. If Australia wins yeah. the home final, it's going to be amazing. If India had won, then it would have given the women's game in that country a massive boost. Yes. But I still think it has. And the players look so sad. I did feel a little bad for a miniature second. <laughs> it's a good point, though, man, is that when India won the 83 50 over Men's World Cup, they, they couldn't have cared less about one day cricket. And then when they beat the West Indies unexpectedly at Lords overnight, the country became in love with one day, one day cricket. Same thing when they beat Pakistan in the 2007 in the first ever World T20. Overnight, they started. Uh, being interested in T20 cricket and the IPL was formed as a result. So had they won it, maybe there would have been a, a, an IPL for the women much sooner than there otherwise will be. Now, just before we move on, let's have a quick look at the semi-finals. Obviously, England were robbed of a chance of playing in their semi-final. Uh, their match against India was completely washed out. So England went home. Mm. No sympathy for them at all. I have sympathy for them. You just I don't like sympathy. English people. Oh, no, no, I have sympathy for the, <laughs> the English players because I think they're a nice team, but I think they had enough luck last year in the men's side of the game, England. And um, the other thing was that Elisa Healy sent Dane Van Nakirk a, a text message at 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, the day of these games, and said, congratulations on making the final. We're not going to get on. Where should we go and celebrate and have a drink? And then our man, Paul, Adam Lewis, our man, the curator at the SCG, who we've been giving a lot of compliments mm. this summer. Yep. So there's going to be a big fall next year if you mess up the pitches. <laughs> You'll be ready for that. But he produced a miracle to get them on. And I wasn't surprised after what we saw with the Big Bash because I think there was more rain leading up to the Big Bash than there was this World Cup. But Australia beat South Africa by five runs and just incredible they even got that game in. Yep. And uh, – it- as I said at the start of the show, when the when the rain came the second time, I thought that was it. Um, and it was quite. I was I'm delighted when suddenly the covers came off again. What about Perry crying at the end of the semi final? Those shots yeah. we saw of her coming onto the field in tears because she was so happy that her, her team had made it. Yeah, just emotional stuff. I just want to say one thing that she did do that that semi final that sorry that that effective quarter final win over New Zealand. Uh, I think if Elise Perry hadn't played that game, I don't think Australia would have won. She came out and scored 21 off 15 when... So she had a strike rate of 140. Apart from Rachel Haynes, who strike rate of 237, everyone else's strike rate for the Australian side, 100, 120, 123, 100, 100. Uh, I think that Perry getting those runs made a pretty big difference in a game that Australia ended up winning um, by four runs. Well, Australia are still the T20 world champions. The women's team did us all proud. Hopefully the men can win their first ever world T20 title in, uh, well, it'll be October. I think the final's mm-hmm. early November. The final early November? I think it is. All and- right. So we are going to take our first break of the show. I just want to remind you, if you've got time, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oz Cricket Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod. You can also send any questions for the panel, OzCricketPod at gmail.com. Paul's also on TikTok as Cricket Unfiltered. No, we're both on there together. But yeah, you can find us on TikTok. And yeah, go on to social media because uh, we're putting up lots of great stuff. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Jaleesa Apps grilling Manus Labashain. <laughs> The strengths that you and Steve Smith have 
very similar strengths. Is it ever difficult in those one days when you're out there together to keep that run rate up and does that play on your mind at all? I think I'm thinking particularly about that first ODI. Oh, that's a good question. Um, good question. No, not, Thanks, not necessarily because, I, I mean, we do it slightly different ways. Batting in the middle order, um, we're both all right against spin so we can score... Probably not, you know, like like Aaron Finch and Dave Warner, heavy boundaries, but we we rotate the strike very well and we run really hard. So I think once again, it's just gonna, it's about getting used to batting together and and how we do that in the middle um, together. You know, where do we take some more risk? Where do we not? When do we need to actually hold off a little bit longer and and pull the trigger uh, a bit later? So, but like I said, that just takes learning and uh, well, especially from my perspective. I mean. Steve's record and, and, and how he plays in one day cricket is, is awesome. So for me, it's just learning how can I um, complement him and how can I complement the team in that number four spot. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm with Paul and Jaleesa. And that was Jaleesa asking Manus Lubbershane about him being in the same side as Steve Smith. And let's get straight into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Pete Lawler, our good friend from the Australian newspaper, said Australia wouldn't lose a game in South Africa on this tour. Well, he was wrong. Australia went two and four. They lost the ODIs three zip. So an absolute trouncing by the home team. And uh, let's start with Jaleesa's point. So you're asking Marnus, put, put it straight in, up to him, didn't you? I tried to be gentle and to, uh, there, there was this morning when uh, Marnus answered that, uh, did a press conference um, and Marnus and all the cricketers, you can actually put a few difficult questions at them and they never take it, but he answered it beautifully. I My point is that I get very concerned about Marnus and Steve being in the same short format, shorter format teams because they are just so similar and in that first ODI, they it, they were running between the wickets, but it just was, the run rate was just too slow. They put on 84. They only hit three boundaries between them. Smith, 76 off 94 balls, um, top scored. And then Manus was 41 off 51 balls. Not bad figures individually, but when they were together, it was just making it so much harder for the, everyone else coming in. And you felt like the game was getting away from us. And it did. It got away from us. I liked his answer because I liked that he is obviously not thinking about it. And that's what I want. I don't want him to be worried and start changing the way that he plays. I Very think good of you to be concerned <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, well, I just don't want... I don't want it to be something that to then... To see him in the nets going, oh, look, Jaleesa <laughs> asked me this morning, because I'm not hitting enough boundaries. I <laughs> JL, uh, I think I need to change my game. Oh, they, they take my points. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I did, though, think one... I wondered if they worried about that after they finished that first ODI, um, and then was Marnus try, would Marnus try and change his game? And I don't want him to do that. I want to find better balance in the team. I do feel like the batting side of the team is still a bit unbalanced, I don't know if it means you have to take one of them out. I don't know if it means you put a big hitter between them and maybe push Marnus down. Um, I, I think they're trying to go for like Smith and Marnus to lay the foundation and then the big hitters come in, but it clearly didn't work. We we looked like we were playing sort of mid-90s one-day cricket mm. in South Africa at one point. And that pitch was really slow, so perhaps we need a few more... ODIs to judge. I mean, in that last game, we made seven for two, five, four. That's where Marnus made his maiden ODI century. And South Africa got it with six wickets in hand and almost five overs to spare. I mean, Paul, you stayed up for 
these games. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I think in that game, I mean, when Flabbershade hadn't got the century, we would have we would have got thrashed even even yeah. more. Uh, I think it's an interesting point. I don't mind Smith coming in at three. Uh, I think that he is fast becoming more, even more aggressive than he used to be in in those in those short form games. I'd be happy with Labashain coming in at four with an asterisk that if we get off to a good start that he that he slides down the batting order. I had a look at their figures just to um, to see how they've gone and it sh- it highlights how much we miss Mackerel. Like if you look at um, List A, so that's all one-day cricket, international and state. I do that because some of them haven't played all that much international. Maxwell has a strike rate of 120. Second place is Warner at 98. When you drop below that, they're all clustered. Mitch Marsh, 92. Matthew Wade, 89. Finch, 89. Labashain, 88. Smith, 87. Carey, 86. So there's not a hell of a lot between them when you look at those figures. Yes, Smith and Labashain do have the lowest boundary percentages, but it's not a huge amount. Smith's boundary percentage is 9.5%. Labashain's 9.4%. The others are kind of ranging in the 10 to 13%, headed by Maxwell at 13.3%. So... It's going to be interesting given that the next World Cup's in India and that's where maybe the style of batting that Labashain's doing at the moment isn't as valuable. But he's got three years to maybe to take your question on board and actually <laughs> do start to get, get a little bit more power hitting into his game. I don't... Th- I, I don't my, uh, Individually, I think they're fine in the team. It's when they're batting together that I just think it slows everything down. I just wonder, do you put a big hit hitter between them and the, the thing about Maxwell is I've never understood the criticism of uh, criticism of Maxwell because people say you know he, he shouldn't be in a one-day team and blah 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 we need someone risky that takes those really big but, shots but I think the problem is if you put Marnus Labashain at five that's probably too low for him I think mm-hmm. you've either got to have Smith three or four or Labashain misses out now what you could do is you could have um, Smith at three and if the pitch is an absolute belter, mm. then maybe Labashain does slide down. But if it's if it's not, either bring in Labashain at four or have a pinch hitter at four. Bring yeah. in Stark and just say, okay. I knew go. this would come up, pinch hitter. Yeah, well, I could see where you were going. <laughs> I mean, I... I agree with Paul. Yeah. Paul, I, know, I, I know I bang on about it. It's just the reason I bang on about it is it is such a good point. This should be... Everyone in the world should be making this point every day, um, that we need more pinch hitters in one-day cricket because otherwise someone like Stark often doesn't get a bat. You mm. might as well throw him out there and tell him to hit a couple of sixes. I'm not sure that they've just got that balance right at the moment. Okay. Well, hopefully they'll work on it. Now, we sort of thought before this series, what does it really mean? Well, Justin Langer in the press conference after the series said, truth is, we have an eye on the T20 World Cup. Mm. So we're not really caring about this 50-over game. He said the team is quite weary at the moment that since a lot of these players, since the beginning of the last World Cup, the 50-over World Cup, have been playing non-stop and uh, he needs to look at a bigger picture view of how to keep the best players sharp and fresh and saying that's a real challenge because it's hard to know who to rest and when to rest them and all series are important and it's a terrible feeling losing. The sense from Marnus today, he was just so disappointed they lost. Just so disappointed. Yeah, and uh, Langer said the T20 side is pretty settled, but obviously Glenn Maxwell will be knocking on the door. But he did make an interesting point, Langer, that he feels they're still looking for a finisher in 20 and 50 over cricket. I I would have thought that would be Maxwell. Well, maybe they're assuming Maxwell's going to be the side and they need one more, because I think they probably do. They need Maxwell and another. Um... Stoinis. Now, Paul, you dug up some stats about... 
this um, series actually having quite a, a big meaning in a broader context and well, not a record we should be proud of. True. I wouldn't say a big meaning in a broader context, but... Well, I think it stung me pretty hard. to you. It actually did. <laughs> actually did. So before this series, Australia and South Africa had 48 wins each in head-to-head games in one-day cricket. South Africa obviously now lead that 51-48. to 48, And then in all test and one-day cricket, that's the only situation where another side has a winning record over Can us. Can you believe that? The only situation. So Australia has a winning record over every other team. Is that even in T20 cricket? No, I said test in one day. I'm I'm not sure about international T20. But our last um, 12 games against South Africa, we've had one win and 11 losses. If Langan knew this stat, he would be mortified right now. No, he wouldn't. Um, I think he would be. No, he wouldn't. He would say, um, if he could be off the record, he'd say, yeah, they, South Africa win the matches that just don't matter. You know they can win well, all that's these. That's true, though. They can win all these bilateral <laughs> nonsense yes. games. You know, yes. they, I think they still sell the DVD of that 434 game in South Africa where they, you know, they chase those runs down, and we just talk. We just juggle the five World Cups that we've won. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hello, to everyone in Cape Town. <laughs> so Australia now take on New Zealand in a three-match ODI series taking place at the SCG and Bell Revival this weekend and next week. Listeners, if you want us to hear us uh, saying what a crazy scheduling thing this is, go back to our back catalogue and we have at length mocked this um, upcoming series. I don't think we've got the energy to do it anymore, but suffice it to say it's very strange that these three one-dayers are the first one-dayers of the summer and it's in autumn and it's in football season, but there you go. Pakistan Super League update. Haven't heard those words on this podcast for a long time, but now that it's being shown on um, cable TV here, it's really easy to cover, uh, really easy to watch. Ben Dunk is carving it up with scores of 99 not out of 40 deliveries. Hit 12 sixes in that innings, which is a tournament record. Quite incredible. Yeah, doing really well. The leading run scorer is Luke Ronke. Shane Watson's doing well. But there's a host of stars over there. I'll just read out these names. Alex Hales, Jason Roy, James Vince, Riley Russo, Chris Lynn, Ben Cutting, Imran Tahir, Chris Jordan. By the way, Dunk got another 93 or 43 as well. So he's got two, two big 90s there. Is this better than the Big Bash? I mean, looking at the Pakistan Super League, and the it looks better than the Big Bash. Not for Australian viewers. But just objectively, it looks like a better tournament, better names, big crowds. I mean, it's fantastic that it's the first edition being played in Pakistan. Yeah, I just think it's, it's, it's a shorter tournament and they're obviously having more success because they've got more money getting the big names, which I think is great. Dean Jones is coaching the Karachi Kings. And I think Dean Jones should be a coach in the Big Bash. This is a huge miss by Big Bash clubs. Dean Jones is a huge figure in Australian cricket and I cannot believe he's not coaching a Big Bash side. Flatters attack that response there. Oh, look, I'm not as passionate about Dean Jones as you are. I'm not going to pretend not. I am. Again, we, we did talk about this on another podcast, and I, I gave a really good answer. I just forgot what it was. Um, well, <laughs> if you'd like to hear Paul's answer. Okay, so okay, I'll just keep going through this segment by myself then. Um, no, no, no. The, the, the PSL, it's not surprising that it's good. They've got 200 million people, Pakistan. Cricket's the number one yeah. game. But um, it it's, is, a, it's a numbers game. But they have a squad of 21 per side. They're allowed nine overseas players of that 21. Four... Four overseas players can play in every 11. Same We've as, got yeah. Alistair Nicholson going on the radio saying, oh, we shouldn't have more overseas players in the Big Bash. They're no good. Yeah, he's wrong. Yeah, yeah his he's head's wrong. in the sand. What is he talking he's about? totally wrong. But his argument being that the third overseas player probably wouldn't be all that good. And in which case, okay, 
let the market decide. The, the Big Bash franchises aren't going to mm. pick an overseas player if he's no good. If he's if he's picked and he's not scoring any runs or taking his wicket, taking any wickets, he's not going to be in the side. Look at Harris Ralph, absolute nobody before the Big Bash came in, made a huge impression. Uh, was a real feel good story. This overseas player playing grade cricket in Tasmania. That that is the problem with the Big Bash when you turn it on and you see domestic players who are, have you know they're just sort of. Sp- synonymous with the Big Bash and you're sort of like, here we go again. This uh, this is clearly not the IPL. This Which is, is fine. You can have those players, but you need to spice it up. You can't have too name. many of them. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'd be up for having four, um, just like the other tournaments do. Now, another big series that's going on, and this must have passed us all by. It's the Road Safety Legends series going on in India. Did you know about this, Jaleesa? I just saw something about the Australia legends, but I, honestly, I have been quite out of touch with this. <laughs> so you've got Australia legends, Sri Lanka legends, India and West Indies legends playing in a, a quadrangular tournament. I'll read out the Australian legend side, and you two, I want you to say whether you think they're a legend or not. Oh, well, Michael well, Klinger. On Hold on a second. Michael, hang on, it was Ditcher. Michael Klinger. Oh. Well, what's the... I mean, what is... No. no. Travis Burt. No. No. Mark Cosgrove. No. no. Brad Hodge. No. Brad Haddon. Close. Yeah. Close, yeah. Nathan Reardon. No. no. Shane Lee. No. no. Not Brett Lee. Shane Lee. Shane Lee was a better cricketer than Brett. He used to be my coach, Shane Lee. Jason Crazier. No. no. Clint Mackay. Good bowler. No. no. Xavier Doherty. No. Ben Lockley. Isn't he still playing in no. normal competitions? Yeah, yeah. Probably. I can get on board with Haddon. Yeah, so that's the Australian Legends team playing in a tournament in India. It would be actually quite funny to watch these games because four West Indies Laras playing, four India Tendulkas playing. Shamin Devas, Rangan Herath. Yeah, so it's a shame that... Um, is it a... Well, it's not, is, I was going to say it's a shame it's not being covered here, but it's not really. Is it, is it done it's a like lie. as a fun or is it done... It's, a, a, it's the Road Safety Legends series. It's funny Lisa. though, it, it, there is something to that though. Like when I go to the tennis, and I'm sorry for yeah. mentioning the other sports. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, oh I, I know what you're going to say because I was thinking the same thing. When I was at the um, French Open final a few years ago, um, and I popped onto um, I was the finals in Philippe Chatrier, and the the other their second court is uh, Suzanne Longlong. I popped into there, and um, Pat Cash was playing in a Legends game. Yeah. And it was awesome, and it was high quality with a little bit of entertainment. I'd love to see Steve Waugh and Ricky Ponting and all these guys go around in something more competitive than what we saw at Junction Oval. Yeah, I love the Legends games at the Australian Open. It's so much fun. How funny is Henri Leconte? Have you seen him in that? Oh, oh he, we, we. Oh, he is hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. And, and it is, it's good quality, but it's Literally, funny. people are switching to another podcast right now. <laughs> Please come back. <laughs> all right. That's it for the cricket headlines. And we're going to take our final break for this episode. Then we'll be back with listener mail, some questions from the listeners and can't let it go just want to remind you if you've got a moment go on and rate and review the podcast on whatever app you're listening to the show on um, and please follow us on twitter i'm at amenas where are you at jaleesa raps one j-e-l-i-s-a-a-p-p-s almost forget i'll put that in the bio and paul the underscore summer underscore game, a handle I came up with about five years ago that I'm gradually growing very tired with. I might try and change it. I love it. it. Oh, do you? Yeah. yeah, it's a good handle. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. <laughs> Actually, then... well, what I'll do is I might change my name then, my yeah, actual name, to the summer sure. game. <laughs> the improvement. And then after the break, Justin Lang is going to be talking. Now, we're sponsored by Amazon Prime for this episode, but this was a question asked of him, which I thought, what is not going to be in that test documentary that's coming out? The, I think it's an eight-part series about the Ashes, 
the, the, the best stuff will be the stuff that's on the cutting room floor. So we'll take a break and then Langer was asked about that. When uh, Nathan Lyon missed that run out against Stokes, I kicked the bin in the change room. I don't like people seeing me grumpy, but, but I was straight away then put, and I said to the um, director, I said, look, that's not me. I don't want anyone to see me. He goes, no, but what about what you did next? I said, what do you mean what I did next? He said, well, you bent down and you picked up all the bottles and put them back into the thing with five <laughs> runs to get or something. So he said, that's humility there. And I said, oh, well, I, yeah, okay, but... And welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. That was Justin Langer talking about the documentary on Amazon called The Test. I'll certainly be watching it. Yeah, that would have been pr- pretty good access to be in that dressing room during the Ashes. The players have said, uh, and Manus said the, this morning, that having uh, that fly-on-the-wall um, documentary, they got so close to the people making it that it felt like they weren't there at all. And I think that... That I'm really excited to see this because I think that makes for a great documentary. Mm, yeah, I don't believe that. I think, no. you, I think you always know I, when the no, camera's there. I agree, no, I totally agree. I agree with Jaleesa 100%. Even this, that we're filming ourselves in the camera. Um, the first time I did it, I, I discovered all these idiotic mannerisms mm. I had that I look, I look half deranged. And every time since I've come in, I said, this time just sit and be normal. And every time I see it again, I'm half deranged. Like, you just forget that it's there. Mm. Yeah, and they're not focused. They don't care what they look like on camera. They want to win a series. Okay, fair enough. I'm wrong. <laughs> All right, let's get into listener mail and reviews. The voted. <laughs> okay, so this is from Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson. Hi, Menas. I'll get the, grat- the gratuity out of the way first. I'm a big fan of the podcast and really appreciate your musings, along with Paul and Jaleesa. It's a good feeling when I um, refresh my podcast subscription. Thank you. Now, my email seeks your opinion on a theory I have on Mitch Marsh. I am similar to you in that I want to support his selection. Though I wonder whether Mitch carries more mental baggage than other cricketers in the quest to maintain his spot in the batting order. By this I mean he's part of a significant cricketing family where his father and brother were very much a part of the fabric of Australian cricket. Do you think this precedent of involvement in Australian cricket before him weighs heavily on his mind? Well, this is factually inaccurate because Jeff Marsh and Sean Marsh have pretty poor records at test level. So I don't think he's got to live up to them. He's uh, got to they are average... a significant cricketing family, though. Yes, but the test averages are you know low thirties for both Marsh brothers and uh, for his dad and older brother. No, I, yeah, I always bang on about that, but no, they are a significant cricketing family. That in Jeff the West, Ma- they are. No, in the, in the no, they are. They are everywhere. In the country as a whole, Jeff Marsh is regarded as being part of the renaissance of Australian mm. cricket. I'm just one of the people who don't subscribe to that, but I'm in the minority. Um, well, I'm, I'm in the minor- minority with My you. dad and I, one of our great common bondings in cricket in the 1980s was hoping Jeff Marsh, Jeff Marsh would get out as quickly as possible. And that's a very happy memory I had. But do you think there's a fair level of expectation on Marsh because of that? I, I, I have to be honest, I don't think that that does play on his mind, but the next time that I interview him, which I is few and far between because he is a WA cricketer, and I generally do New South Wales cricketers, I, w- I, w- I want to ask him this. Get him on the blower next podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it does, Ben, purely because I think back to a press conference. I can't remember where, which, which series he did it, but I feel like it was about 12 to 18 months ago where he was asked a question that was alluding to the Australian public not 
liking him and he came out and goes yeah I know the public don't like me and that's a bit weird but anyway like he's just so blase mm. about everything that I just I ripping don't... ripper bloke just mm. yeah he, uh, and everyone not, actually I think people are just unpopular he's not unpopular as a person just his selection is unpopular yeah, yeah but he actually uh, didn't he actually kind of won over a few fans after that by how blasé he was about it and how open he was about not being liked. So I'm, I'm not sure that he is that worried. I agree. I don't think he's worried by it. And if he is worried, you could equally say it would be probably just as valid to say that his cricketing heritage has helped him get to where he is. And the bottom line is if he is worried about it, then that's a problem. Um, and that's the further, you know, ultimately you've just got to look at the numbers and whatever the reason the output isn't so good. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, Dave also said, is he like any other late 20s cricketer that is still learning how to be good. I think uh, Mitch Marsh has had a fair amount of chances to prove his worth. All right, now. I don't but think he's that bad. No, I don't think he's that bad. No, he's not that bad. He's, he's, he's very good. But I suppose... Good grade cricketer. He's <laughs> it's pretty hard to be in the top 11 cricketers in Australia when there are 12 million you know, potential mm. players. And, but if you go back through the history of this podcast... I have, since 2013, been saying Mitch Marsh is going to be a huge star. And it just hasn't happened. Mm. Which I, I'm surprised because when he was playing in the under-19 side and captaining them, he looked like he was made for international cricket. Dave, uh, thanks very much for the email and thanks for listening to the podcast. Yeah. Now we've got some questions from our listeners. I put out a tweet. Martin Lawrence. I've written that the game last night was a history-making moment in cricket. Do you think we will see a women's IPL next year as a result of the tournament? I don't think we will see a women's IPL next year. I think they're expanding the women's section of the IPL coming up very shortly. But the facts are apparently, from all reports, in India, there's just not enough women's cricketers to actually to fill up an IPL yet. There's just not enough women playing cricket there. I reckon that sounds like a cop-out from India. I mean, the 11 that played, um, there's a start. You'd get 20 Aussies that would go across. You'd get get plenty of New Zealanders. You'd get plenty of English people. Yeah, absolutely. If you would fill it with international stars, you could do it. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say um, hello to Martin because he often does interact with the podcast and is a fan of the podcast and I love talking to him on Twitter about his views. So I, I like to hear from yes, Martin. Yes, I echo that. Secondly, I don't agree that – I don't think there will be a women's IPL next year. I think this is something that Martin um, really wants to see, which is awesome. But I don't think there will be a women's IPL next year because I don't think the wheels are in motion. Mm. Um, a couple of years maybe. I think a couple of years, yes. I don't buy the excuse that there are not enough female cricketers in India. There, It's a massive population. There are mm. enough female cricketers. But I just don't think they've probably got the wheels in motion to get it up next year. But hopefully the final will show them that they are missing out on, yeah. on something big. Perhaps the, if they'd won... Maybe that would have kicked everyone into gear mm. a bit quicker. Paul, do you want to read out our question from Kale Gray? I find myself agreeing with Pup at the moment with this Kiwi series. It's a bit late in the season. It would be good to see the international players in the Shield for the last few rounds. And it feels like last night was the perfect end to the Australian international summer. And I think that is completely correct. And Cricket Australia would probably agree, but they were obliged to play these three um, games. And the schedule meant that this is where they spat out to be. And it's not ideal, but that's the way it is, unfortunately. 
Pup's getting a few people uh, riled up at the moment um, with his new gig on Big Sports Breakfast. He's been very opinionated and that's awesome because that's his job. I hate people hosting things when they sit on the fence about everything. That's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're never opinionated. (laughs) So I really like that. uh, And one of the people he's really got riled up was uh, Trent Bolt when uh, he said this. Um, but he, I think he's spot on. I think these are, these are really bizarre. And I think the fact that you couldn't have it at the MCG because the footballers started should have been a pretty clear indication you didn't need to have them at all. I think they had an option of playing these games right at the beginning of the summer or right mm. at the end. Probably in hindsight, they should have just got them out of the way early because this is going to be a bit of a, this is going to be a PR disaster for them. Mm. Wasn't it that India jilted us so we jilted New Zealand? Yeah, but I think. Because of that, we couldn't have them in January. Because we had to go to India. Yeah, so yeah. we could have had it in October or, or now. Right, Maybe yeah. October would have been better. One more question, not Michael Clark, a different Michael. Good. Should we be giving some new players a chance in the 50-over matches, such as Josh Philippi? It seems some of the players need a rest, and the current ODIs would have been a chance to blood some players. It's, it's a fair point for this series against New Zealand with not a lot at stake. Should we try a few youngsters? Yes, it's an interesting one because I suppose they they've got one eye on the world T, the T20 World Cup and that's what they're using these matches for. The next ODI tournament's not for not till 2023, but give some of these guys a chance because they might force their way into the the T20 side. I don't necessarily agree with Justin Langer that our, our T20 side should be regarded as completely settled. I think that someone like Philippi could force his way into the game. I mean, the way he played in the um in the final or the, the Big Bash final and some of the other innings, was it the final or the semi? Have I uh, final, yeah, he made fifty. That's right, um, and pl- some of his other big hitting innings during the year. I-, I think that we we should be trying out some of these players. There's New Zealand games. I would say yes. I don't think in South Africa. I think you pick your best side uh, when you're going over there. Um, but probably the New Zealand games. I think yeah, probably you could have. The only thing is, which New Zealand is being so dominant in the Bledisloe Cup. We really need to keep. The Chapel Hadley Manus, Trophy. Can you, can you keep it to cricket, please, mate? Sorry. We really need to... We're going to be starting to talk about tennis. Uh, <laughs> we really need to keep the Chapel Hadley Trophy. Week. But yeah, Fact is, Menace, no one in Australia follows rugby union and no one in New Zealand follows cricket. So, so yeah, it's, it's a moot point. <laughs> but thanks anyway, Michael. All right. So, listeners, it's time to bring this podcast home the way we like to. We can't let it go through to the keeper. That one bit of cricket news you just can't let go of. And, Jaleesa, why don't you open the batting on this one? Because mine's a bit of a Debbie Downer. No, no, it's an interesting <laughs> one. We've obviously got lots of friends affected by this. Yeah, so colleagues. This, is, this is not strictly uh, cricket related, but it's the news that the that AAP will the be... Australian Associated Press. Australian Associated Press will uh, no longer exist, which um, I think for the wider public, they probably don't realise how often they mm. are consuming an AAP article. If you're reading an article on a uh, sporting website and it doesn't have a byline... Or it says AAP, that's an AAP article and there are thousands of them getting around because sadly newsrooms, TV newsrooms, print newsrooms, digital newsrooms are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And AAP is what they call a wires service. So people who subscribe 
can get the stories. Get the story. So uh, other companies such as uh, Nine, Fairfax, whatever, can take the stories and put it on their websites. And often you are reading an AAP I mean, article. I go to you know a lot of cricket during the summer, and at the Shield, AAP will be there. The AAP will be at the Sheffield Shield. Yeah. Often there's no other reporters yep. unless there's a big Aussie star yeah. playing. Uh, you go to a lot of the women's games, both the WNCL and the Women's Big Bash League. Oftentimes it's only AAP reporters. So there's lots of cricket that is only covered by AAP that might now just slip through the gaps. Particularly when Australia are overseas, uh, we often take, and a lot of news broadcast newsrooms, take what Cricket Australia films. So they will actually film the press conferences. But Cricket Australia are not going to fire tough questions. That's often AAP journos that have been flown over that are, that are doing that. I mm. would love to fly over myself. But often AAP journos and I have to say a special shout out to Scott Bailey who oh yeah good friend of the podcast is he he's been on many times oh great um obviously more before my time but Scott Bailey um who I see around everywhere is Rob Forsyth another great guy Adrian yeah they're constantly they're sitting there even this morning Scott Bailey um before Manus Labajay press conference was sitting there bashing out an article um because he obviously covers a rugby league as well the concern is that a lot of this smaller time cricket will just not get any attention anymore and and it will be left for Cricket Australia to do it my two cents is, though, I mean, this this is a, a massive stuff up by the two organisations that fund AAP, News Limited and Channel 9, how they could let this company just basically head to a, of oblivion without ever changing its business model is ridiculous. And, um, yeah, if they thought they could actually maintain it the way it is, it's, it's just incredible to have such gross negligence. But the, the only thing about cricket is all that money that News and Nine would send to AAP, they can keep in-house and hopefully they can use that money to bring on a couple of reporters who can hit the cricket. That's what I wonder. I wonder if uh, this means that now newspapers, because these are new newspapers across the country are taking this, even from your little local country town newspapers take their articles. I wonder if, does that mean there's going to be more jobs for newspapers? So I, well, I hope uh, so. I think there'll be, unfortunately, especially in regional areas, there'll be less news. No, yeah, I think I think you're, you're right that it'll be nice if there are going to be more jobs for other reporters, but all that's going to happen is that There'll either be no coverage or the organisations will fill the gap and you'll get Cricket Australia writing their own reports, which, as you mentioned, Jaleesa, 95% of that's fine, but the 5% where they need to ask a tough question or um, really actually some big news. dig in a little bit. They dig in a little bit, but not as much as they, as they need to. AAP was reliable for the fact that it was, you know, it was factual, it, was, it did what it was meant to do. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... Um, it's a sad um, reflection. Oh, no, I, I agree with Menas. They could have changed their business model, but it was probably inevitable that they're going to go. What's I don't your- blame. Um, I know I sound like I'm banging on about Channel Nine being so great, but I don't blame Nine and other subscribers for that. I think the business model just didn't work. It but but where working. was the video reporting? Where was the audio reporting? Where was the social media stuff? I mean, they literally let AAP die. How you could think a wire but service? But AAP was its own company. Yeah, uh, well, they were still funded by two other companies. But so anyway, uh, I just think it's a shame. But Paul, come on, what's your can't let it go? Because um, I, I think that um, just on that, that if they'd done all those things, they still would have gone to the wire. My can't let it go is that I'm very happy with the Australian situation. Just, just, just reminded me after Australia won the, the. I love this. I love this. The World Cup. We should start every podcast with something like this. So here's the story in terms of uh, men's and women's. Uh, cricket in terms of the four tournaments that have trophies, the 50 over and the 20 overs. Women's 50 overs, Australia have won six, rest of the world five. Women's 20 overs, Australia's won five, rest of the world two. So in all women's cricket, Australia's won 11, 
Earth 7. <laughs> <laughs> and the men's 50 over, Australia's one's five. The rest of the world's seven. I still, Earth. I still put an asterisk next to the 96 one where Sri Lanka won, where we didn't have Gilchrist and there was dew on the ground. But anyway. We still lost. We still lost. I can't. I've, I've written to the ICC, but they won't listen. <laughs> and the men's 20 over, Australia's won zero. The rest of the world's six. A little bit of an aberration there. That so pulls you, the stats down. It does. So you put it all up together. Australia on 16 and... Planet Earth, well, the universe is on 20. Um, so, But without the men's 20 over, it'd be 16 to Australia and 14 to yeah. the world. And the men's 20 over doesn't really count. Well, especially so. not in the first few editions. <laughs> Until we win it, it doesn't count. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Australia 16, the rest of the world 20. That's pretty cool. Yeah, big tournament team. Well, my can't let it go. And this is because I'm a real romantic at heart. You are. It was... Mitchell Stark being allowed to leave the South African tour to fly home and see his wife play in the Women's World Cup final, Elisa Healy, of course. And, you know, I think about 20 years ago when many, many cricketers wouldn't even come home for the birth of their child, let alone watch their partner play cricket uh, or wife. I think this is a great thing. I agree 100%. Just on that, I was at the SCG in 1985-86 when Alan Border's wife was due to give birth and it was a crucial game that Australia were batting to try to save the game. And this was mid-1980s. Rather than miss the test match, he just slid down the batting order until he got word from the hospital that the baby had been born. Really? And then he came out to bat um, about number eight instead of number five. But then so he wasn't there. That, all he did was slide down the order. I don't think he went to the hospital. No. Yeah. And then there's this great photo, and it's a misleading photo, but there's this photo of Border, nuggety Border, getting ready to face his first ball. And on the big screen, it says, congratulations, Alan Border, you've had a a baby son or whatever. And it made it seem as though that's how he was finding out. (laughs) It wasn't. He'd actually found out before he came out to bat. (laughs) But that was, you know, mid-1980s, yeah, slide down the batting order a bit just to find out that it's all okay and then get out there and, um, you know. Because when I was 20 before I had kids, I would have thought, Oh, you can't miss a test match just to watch your baby being born. I mean, come on. Really? Yes. This seems preposterous to me that you wouldn't. Well, yeah, I'm stupid. No, I was probably the same. When I was 20, you know, I was just just clueless. I wouldn't have given up a game of Monopoly, Um, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No, but also Monopoly takes 15 years. The kid would be 15 and you'd be like, oh, we had a 15. We've got a 15-year-old. I've finished that Monopoly game now. Especially if I had hotels and stuff, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Doing well. (laughs) Honey, call me when it's over. Is there cricket Monopoly? (laughs) That's a very good business idea. Yeah, cut that out. We're going to use that as a yeah, secret. <laughs> well, listeners, that's Can't Let It Go. That's this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Jaleesa, what you got planned for the week ahead? Uh, I've got two days off and it's straight into rugby league season. It is uh, cricket season is sadly <laughs> I'm in mourning. I'm wearing black. Uh, straight into rugby league season. So that's Are you an IPL fan? Will you be watching the IPL when it kicks off next month? I'll be watching... Well, I'm a really bad sleeper, so probably. Mm. Uh, It really honestly depends if I'm awake. I watched all the South Africa, Australia because I uh, don't sleep. Wow, uh, I sleep a lot. And Paul, what are you up to? Yeah, um, I suppose I'll watch these Australia-New Zealand games. After bagging them for for six months, I should probably watch them. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, Eastern Suburbs 125-year... Celebration lunch. I think Ian Botham speaking. So hopefully I'll have some gossip from that next week. So if you can get into a fight with him, um, I'll be. That, that, I'll say I'm like Ian Chappell's brother. Or sister, <laughs> his you know, brother, half brother. brother, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners. Well, on that note, I'm going to sign off. Andrew Chappell here, Jaleesa Apps, <laughs> and Paul Dennett. We'll be back next week with another podcast. <laughs>
Podcast Network.